0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be present with us now, that we would know you are with us, that we would remember your promises, and hear in faith again those things you would want us to hear. In Jesus' name. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason, and plot. I see no reason (laughs) that treason should ever be forgot. This is a verse which memorializes the failed assassination attempt on King James I and the House of Lords in Britain. We shall never forget is an oft used phrase when we remember the tragedy of September 11th. As humans, we too easily forget. To help ourselves remember, we create memorials such as statues, plaques, and monuments. We write poems like the ride of Paul Revere or what became our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. Sometimes these memorials become the thing remembered rather than the reminder of what or who we are to remember. This is why it's important to remember with our heart and soul as well as our mind. We remember with our whole being to see beyond the reminder, to focus on the one we are to remember. Lent can become a season in which we focus on the fasting but forget the why we can too easily get caught up in the thinking or the doing. In Lent, we sit with the Lord to remember who we are and who He is. This is to be both a collective remembrance as well as an individual remembrance. So let us remind each other this Lent of who we are and who God is. In our Gospel reading in Mark... And in our Old Testament reading in Genesis, we see pictures of promise and faith. Abraham and Peter are two pillars of the faith. Abraham, who the Lord blesses, of whom the Lord makes a nation, and who fathers the line that would ultimately bring us the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, through whom all families in the world are blessed. Peter, who confesses Jesus as the Christ, and of whom Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. In these two men, we see the Lord give promises and they follow in faith. We also see these two stumbling along the way as they trust in the promises of God. Looking at these two stories should give us hope. For me, and I'm sure for you also, The journey of faith has its droughts and its torrents, its mountains and its valleys. There are points when we get lost along the way and points when we are brought back to the narrow road of life. As we will see these two pillars of faith, Abraham and Peter also had similar journeys. We will see how time and time again, the Lord draws them back, pursues them, and seize their lives of faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In our Old Testament reading in Genesis 22, we read that Abraham is tested by God. God asks him to take his son, his only son Isaac, to the land of Moriah, and on a mount to offer him as a burnt offering. Before we continue, let us look briefly to see how the story got to this point. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram, a 75-year-old man, to go to a land that he will show him. This is an unknown land, a strange land. This is a new start, really late in life. But by faith, Abraham believed God and his promises and packed up his family and went. God promises he will make Abraham into a great nation, that he will bless him, and make his name great, and that he will bless others who bless him and curse those who dishonor him. Abraham, in his journey, twice tells half-truths to Pharaoh of Egypt and to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, that Sarah is his his sister. He does this out of the fear of his life and how he would be treated by both of these men, not in faith that God would protect him, God intervenes in both situations, afflicting Pharaoh and telling Abimelech that he is a dead man if he touches Sarah. God shows himself faithful to his promises to Abraham. God promises Abraham that he will give him a son and that that son will be his heir. God even tells him that he will give the land in which he is now living as an inheritance to his descendants and that his descendants will be as the stars in the sky. Abraham asks questions about this. He asks how he will know this. God makes a covenant with him through the sacrifice of animals and passes through them to seal that covenant. Right after this, we see Abraham and Sarah assume that since Sarah's womb has been closed, the heir promised to Abraham would come from another. Sarah tells Abraham to take Hagar to be his wife. Abraham does, and Hagar conceives. Ishmael is born. But God revisits Abraham and tells him, no, Ishmael will not be the heir that is promised. For in fact, Sarah will have a son. Abraham and Sarah both wonder at this and laugh, for they are both old. Abraham is now 100 and Sarah 90. Abraham even pleads that Ishmael might be the heir, God tells them, no, Sarah will bear a son, and this son will be the son of promise and the heir of Abraham. God even takes Abraham into his confidence and tells him of his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham then becomes an intercessor for Sodom in the hopes to spare his nephew Lot. God listens, and Lot is spared, but Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed for their wickedness and utter depravity. Then the birth of Isaac comes and there is great fasting and celebration. As Isaac grows, Sarah realizes the potential threat that Hagar and Ishmael are. She tells Abraham to cast out Ishmael and Hagar so that Ishmael would not be an heir with Isaac. God must intervene and tell Abraham to do as Sarah says, but that he will watch over Ishmael and make him into a nation. It is after this that Abraham sends them away. As time passes from the initial call for Abraham to go until the birth of Isaac, we see how Abraham's faith grows as God continually pursues him and reminds him of his promises. This is where the story is when God comes to Abraham to test him. God asks Abraham to take his only son, the son he promised would be his heir, the only son he has now that he has sent Ishmael away and to offer him has a burnt offering on the mountain that God will show him. In previous times, when God came to Abraham and told him about the land he would possess, the son that would be born to him through Sarah, Abraham has dialogue with God. He asks, how can he possess this land? He asks, how could it be that Sarah would bear a son? He even laughs. This time though, there are no questions. He just wakes early saddles the donkey takes his son isaac and two men cuts the wood for the burn offering and goes to the place which god will show him we're not given the privilege to see into abraham's thoughts here we don't get any conversations with god except that we know that abraham trusts in god fully he tells isaac when isaac asks where the lamb is for the burnt offering that god will provide for himself the lamb That's it, no more thoughts, just actions. He then prepares the altar, binds Isaac, and places his only son on the altar. When taking the knife, God intervenes and stops Abraham. Then, just as Abraham told Isaac, God provides a ram caught in the thicket for the burnt offering. This test is not for God to know Abraham's faith but for Abraham himself to know his faith and to know that he trusts in the promise of God fully. He understands that all he has are the promises of God. It is on the promises of God that he hopes and has life. That he is who he is because God called him. He has submitted to that and yielded control. He knows that God has promised to bless him So he knows that whatever God had planned for that moment on the mountain, God would be faithful as he had already been multiple times to the original promises he was given in Genesis 12. In Hebrews 11, we see how the story is interpreted by Scripture. The author tells us, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In our gospel reading in Mark, we see Peter, who had just confessed Jesus as Christ, take Jesus aside and rebuke Jesus for teaching about the Son of Man having to be rejected, killed, and three days later, rising from the dead when peter was called to follow jesus he dropped everything and followed him peter walks with jesus and sees the healing of the lame sight given to the blind hearing given to the deaf, death and the rising of the dead peter is one of the three that sees jesus transfigured on the mount in glory peter confidently states and he will follow jesus even if others fall away only to be told by jesus that he would deny him peter responds emphatically that even if he must die with jesus he would not deny him peter flees with the others when jesus is arrested but follows his lord in the dark and denies him three times when peter remembers the words of jesus he breaks down and weeps this same peter is restored to jesus in a meal over a fire, in an intimate and beautiful conversation in John 21. Then we see Peter proclaiming in great confidence the gospel in acts, even in the face of arrests and beatings. Ultimately, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified for the sake of the gospel. Peter remembered the promises of Jesus and the faithfulness of his Lord. And by faith, he denied himself, took up his cross, and follow Jesus even unto death. When Jesus tells his disciples that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after 3 days rise again. He doesn't just say this one time. He must constantly remind his disciples of this. After the transfiguration and after passing through Galilee, he tells them again in Mark 9:31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Then he tells them again, as they are on the road to Jerusalem in Mark 10, 33 through 34. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus knew the heart of his disciples, just as he knows our hearts. He knew they would need to hear these words again and again, just as we need to hear these words again and again. He knew that all these things would eventually make sense to them. So he reminded them in order that they would remember when he rose from the dead. Peter did remember, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he and the other disciples went out proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see in Acts. Abraham and Peter rested on the promises given to them by God. Their faith was in the God they saw fulfill some of the promises and trust that the other promises would be fulfilled later because he proved himself faithful always. They both came to understand what Jesus says to his disciples in our gospel reading in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And to forfeit his soul abraham denied himself and followed when god called abraham denied himself when he took isaac onto the mountain to offer him as a burnt offering when god called him to abraham let the fear of pharaoh and abimelech overcome him in the moment but ultimately he followed in faith the lord of life peter strayed and allowed fear to overcome him in different situations but ultimately, fear did not overcome his faith. Peter knew who Jesus was and knew there was life in no one else but Jesus. When Jesus asks in John 6, do you also want to go away? Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. No one else but our God can give these promises to Abraham, to Peter, and to us. Is it life you seek? Then go to the one who promises to give life. No one else can promise life and be trusted to keep those promises. Only the promises of God lead to life. What fears tempt you to forget the power of the one who is faithful to the promises he makes. Maybe like Abraham and Peter, you have let fear overcome you in difficult situations. Maybe there was a time when you let fear overcome you because of a job lost. Maybe you let fear overcome you because of declining health of yourself or a loved one. Maybe you let fear overcome you because of a broken relationship. Maybe you let fear overcome you because of lost control of a situation. Maybe, like for Abraham, you let fear overcome you because of how you thought you would be perceived by others. Or maybe, like Peter, you let fear overcome you because of a real danger from those around you because of who you follow. It is good during this Lenten season to meditate on these times and to remember the times when fear got the better of us. It is good not so we can identify where we have been faithless or succumb to sin, but rather it is good to remember these times so that we can meditate on the promises of God that would help us walk by faith and not in fear in the future. It is good so that we can walk by faith on the narrow road when the droughts come the valleys are low for as paul reminds us in romans 8 we have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but we have received the spirit of adoption we are god's children and our father is faithful to the promises he gives to his children our god loves us and he is trustworthy to faithfully fulfill his promises Abraham and Peter remembered those times and the promises and they grew in their faith They grew in their faith because they remembered the faithfulness of the one who promised to protect them to bless them to give them life We so easily forget and our God knows this about us That is why throughout the Old Testament we see the people setting up memorials and naming places to remember what the Lord has done for them and how he was faithful to them. We see in Genesis 22, when Abraham names the place in Moriah where God provided the ram for a sacrifice, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It is understood that this is the same mountain on which the temple would later be built, as we see in 1 Chronicles 3.1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. This is why Jesus reminds his disciples of his coming death and resurrection three times in Mark. This is why in instituting the Lord's Supper, he tells us to do this in remembrance of him. This is why Paul reminds the Corinthians in his first letter of these words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. When we remember, it's not just with our minds, but with our hearts and all of our senses. We taste and see that the Lord is good. We hear from one another the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and the reading of the word. We hold in our hands the body and blood of Christ. It is good and necessary to remember for ourselves, but also for us as the body of Christ past present and future. It is good and necessary to remember the Lord's faithfulness to our forefathers and mothers. It is good and necessary to remember the Lord's faithfulness in the present, to strengthen the body currently and to teach the younger saints that they would remember in the future. While we remember during this time of Lent, it would be good to sit in the Psalms. These are the hymns of the people of God, they are full of remembrance even in today's reading in psalm 16 we see that in remembering preserve me O god for in you i take refuge i say to the lord you are my lord i have no good apart from you we do not say this to the lord to remind him but rather to remind us of this truth we speak this truth in prayers into to one another to remind each other of this truth. He is our Lord, and apart from him, we have no good. This is really at the heart of the Lenten season to remember, he is our Lord, and apart from him, we have no good. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the remembrance that as his people, we are a kingdom of priests. Peter reminds us of this too in his first letter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is our chosen portion and our cup. As we eat of the meal today, let us do this in remembrance of him, of his death and resurrection. Let us receive life from the only meal that gives life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. There is only one path to life, and that is through Jesus. In his presence, we can find the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, even when the call to follow in faith is difficult, even when that means we are to deny ourselves and pick up our cross, for we cannot save ourselves Only Jesus can. To the world, this sounds ridiculous. If we are honest, we sometimes find ourselves standing with Peter, rebuking Jesus about the path to life through suffering, rejection, and self-denial. Joy in suffering? Pleasure in denying ourselves? The more nonsensical this sounds, the more like Peter, We have our minds on the thoughts of man, and not on the thoughts of God. It is clear that God's plan is not our plan. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. This is why we must remember the promises. This is why we must sit with God. This is why, when God speaks, we must listen and wait. We must remind each other of these promises daily. Come together and pray for one another. Pray the morning and evening prayer together as a family or with friends. Fellowship with one another and remind each other of the goodness of our Lord. Serve with each other the neighbors living around you. We need to walk together in remembrance not only of what God has done, but also what God has promised he will do. This is what we are about to do and do every sunday when we partake of this meal let us now eat and drink in remembrance of christ's death and resurrection let us now eat and drink in remembrance that christ will come again let us now eat and drink remembering the promises of god and let that remembrance strengthen our faith to live the lives we are called to as children of the one true God who is always faithful.